Hi, welcome to the Period McMaster podcast for a brand new season where we talk all about periods and speak with a lineup of amazing guests on our show. From menstrual cycles to systematic barriers, current news, and more, we uncover the underlying realities of period poverty. Let's move right into the show. Today's uh, podcast and our our discussion today is uh, a bit more general. We wanted to start off with kind of a a general overview of uh, maybe first what the organization does um, and then getting into some general discussion about uh, menstruation uh, and, you know, common misconceptions and, uh, you know, growing up, how it was talked about, um, what you were told and how those perceptions have changed over time. So um, why don't we start but with a little bit about uh, what we as an organization do. Um, I think Alexa, was that, you were gonna speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so Period McMaster, we're a branch of like the Period organization, which like it's, we didn't come up with Period. It's actually like an established organization that exists. There's chapters in many universities all around. I think mainly in North America, I'm not sure if there are any international ones, but I think there are a few. So it's pretty like branched out. And basically the goal is to, there's kind of three pillars of the period organization. Um, There's service, um, advocacy and education. So um, service obviously is helping uh, undeserved communities and trying to tackle period poverty, which is an issue that's widespread throughout the entire world. Um, Even in our own community in Hamilton, period poverty is an issue that us as Period McMaster, we try to combat. And then there's also advocacy, which is advocating for things related to periods such as like um, free period products or maybe trying to implement like um, there's like I think something that uh, could be implemented is like a free like uh, you know when sometimes you can like put in coins to get like pads and tampons in public places like trying to implement those but make them free because as an organization period believes that everyone should have access to period products because it's obviously something that's out of you know, many people's control, it's not like, we can't really do much about it, right? And everyone deserves access to products that help them feel secure and safe when they're on their period. And then of course, we also have education, which is important because period also values breaking the stigma that's associated with periods and teaching people about periods because a lot of people don't actually really understand them or they don't get the proper education in school or they're misinformed. There's many misconceptions about periods. And so we believe that breaking the stigma is also important so that we can actually have conversations regarding period poverty and lack of equity and access because if people are too scared or ashamed to talk about periods, then how can we ever actually make period poverty go away or actually give access um, give access of uh, period products to people, right? If we can't have these conversations, then we'll never be able to achieve that goal. So that's kind of the main overview of what Uh, the period organization does and then obviously our chapter we try to uphold those three pillars by um, doing education posts on our Instagram which you may have seen and then also uh, raising money to make period packages to deliver to local organizations such as like homeless shelters for example so um, maybe we'll touch on later like which organization we partnered with maybe Jessica can uh, talk about that Um, so yeah that's kind of an overview about uh, what period is and what we at Period McMaster aim to do. 
Uh, yeah, Jessica, if uh, you wanted to speak to a little bit, uh, our, our partner this year, our community partner, then that would be great. So our partner this year is the Elizabeth Fry Society, specifically the Southern Ontario region, because they have multiple sites. And the mission of them is to support women who are, have been, or at risk of being in conflict with the law. So they provide, uh, they have different types of programs and the program that we help is they take uh, youth in mostly and they provide them with essentials. So one of that, including periods and um, speaking to period poverty, a lot of people can't afford these products. So our donations help them a lot in these kinds of programs and provide with people with access. Um, so uh, now that we know a little bit about the organization and who we're partnered with this year, uh, why don't we jump into some of our uh, general discussion points uh, or questions, let's say. So the first one I would like to pose to the group is um, what does everybody know about how a period works, how it actually physiologically happens and why maybe why it happens. So um, everyone feel free to just unmute and contribute. Uh, this is a very just chill discussion setting. We should should have prefaced that a little bit, but like just yeah, unmute and uh, go ahead. Um, so yeah, so what do we all know about the actual, like the physiology and the mechanism behind menstruation? Okay, I can start. Um, I guess growing up, I always knew it was like some form of bleeding. And then I think only till I got kind of older, I realized it was like the shedding of the uterine lining um, because the egg wasn't fertilized um, that month. Um, but honestly, besides that, I don't know like to the exact depth of how it completely works, um, but I'm actually in a reproductive endocrinology course and we're gonna be like going into depth on that. Um, and so it's been a super great course. So I'm really excited to learn kind of more of the anatomy and like all the hormones that also um, like go within periods and stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. I know for me personally, like what I knew at the beginning was that like, yes, it was the shedding of my uterine line. And I just remember being so traumatized, like my first few periods, it was so hard. I was just like, like my, like something is literally shedding in my body. It was just very traumatizing, but yeah, that's kind of the first inklings of like how it actually physiology, physiologically worked for me. Yeah, I think I always knew it was very like hormone driven and growing up, I remember always thinking that like, I was going to have these like huge hormonal changes when I eventually got my period. And that during that week of the month, I was going to be like miserable or extremely cranky. And I remember being younger, thinking that those hormones you experience were going to be like extremely um, severe and like very noticeable. And I think, you know, that can be true for some people or, you know, true at certain points, but I think I've come to realize it's not like always like a full week long of like raging hormones that you can't control um I think it's also important that I've learned to like what works best for me during that time hormone wise and like being kind to myself and stuff like that and I think now that I have you know like taken anatomy classes and stuff I've learned that like the very hormone side of it is those like 
hormones like your estrogen and your progesterone, your LH, your FSH and all that um, going up and down throughout your cycle. So I think that kind of speaks to the hormone side of it for me. Yeah, for sure. And um, uh, like you said about varying, varying effects for different people, um, you know, uh, PMS and all of that is obviously different for people. Um, and it can be very mild, or it can even be a condition called PMDD, which uh, we won't get too much into in this podcast, maybe in a future one. Um, but that can wind up being very, very severe. And it is a treatable um, uh don't want to say disorder but it, it you can like if you're having really really severe um symptoms of pms and like for example pmdd can include some like symptoms such as panic attacks frequent crying uh a lot of depressive symptoms um it can increase suicidal thoughts if those are things that you're having um it can make you just really tired unable to sleep feeling like you have no control. And these are all very serious things that really impact your life. Um, so, you know, in one of these situations, if you have these, the extent of these symptoms, then speaking to a healthcare professional is um, very important because it's not just, um, oh, she's, you know, I'm sure people have heard of, oh, she's just hormonal. But sure, but hormones do things. They make you feel things that can impede your life. And it is no less of a serious issue that you should bring up to healthcare professionals. So absolutely, um, hormones play a big role, but they can be understated when we learn about things, these things when we're young, because we hear like, oh yeah, you'll get hormonal, but what does that really mean? You know, um, and it means a lot of things. So that's also a very good point. Yeah, for sure. And I think another main thing that we're told is, I think one thing that we kind of learn as we kind of grow up and mature more is that every person is so, so different. Like when we're kind of learning about periods and stuff like when we're still in elementary school and even like in high school we just kind of learn it like as an overview like oh like this this and this is going to happen almost as if like like you know it's like kind of like the, in stages like or steps that everyone has to kind of follow or go through in order to like kind of you know actually grow up or have a period in a certain way but there's a lot of stuff that isn't talked about which is why like you know it's really important to talk and we'll be getting more into this also later as we keep our discussion going but yeah it's as you were mentioning like, about the hormones and everything it's just important to keep in mind that every person is so different like what's going to happen to one person isn't going to happen to another person which i feel like isn't talked about a lot so that's really important to kind of mention also yeah and like within like there's so many different um things that people go through in their period like I find I usually don't have many like I don't bloat like I don't find I like PMS stuff like that and so like growing up I always was like expecting that and then when it didn't happen I was like is this abnormal like is something wrong with my body um or like even when you get your period like I got mine quite late and I was always like well is something wrong with me but then girls who also get it early sometimes feel like they're also maturing too fast. And so it's kind of one of those things where like society kind of puts on individuals like what the normal period should be when it's so like variable and what how it might um, be like in that, like for that individual. Um, so I feel like growing up kind of with those expectations of like what might happen. And then also um, there's also different individual experiences too. Um, if you get it earlier than most of your friends and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, Sarah, I can totally relate to what you just said, but for me, it was more of the opposite. I got it early, uh, earlier than most of my friends, and 
it wasn't quite talked about with teachers and peers and I felt I thought I was dying and I thought yeah like you said I thought I was maturing way too early and I felt very self-conscious and also in health class we'd be told I feel that they would underplay the symptoms and how you would feel and I had the opposite I had very severe symptoms I had PMS like crazy I really don't feel good I kind of I'm out I'm kind of out for a whole week and I also thought that there was something wrong with me I thought I had a disease I thought it was the end of the world because it was quite underplayed for us I don't know maybe it was not to scare us but they didn't say that there was a spectrum and you know some people might have very mild symptoms but some people might be you know, crying all the time and very irritable and have stomach pains and can't get out of bed and all of that so yeah I felt like that as well I relate to that very much um, in that when uh, I was quite young too, when um, I got my first period and I was home alone, I did not know what it was because we had not started learning it in school yet and no one at home told me. So um, yeah, I, I was there, I was like home alone while everyone was at work and I like wake up um, to see blood and it was terrifying. I literally thought I had some sort of a disease and I was trying to think about um, like falling off my bike the day before. But I think something that I really like vividly remember is like just the day that I got my period, like everything changed. Like it was just within that one day, um, you feel like you're not a kid anymore. Um, just finding out like why this happens, what it's supposed to be. I remember like being on my bike and just playing like all the other kids the day before. And then on the day that I got my period, it was like things were a little bit different and it's hard to figure that out um, at the age of like nine, 10, um, which is when I started. So yeah, relate to that. Yeah, and I think like on that note, I was just always like terrified of using tampons because like I just like just the thought I don't know it's gonna be a little TMI but like I was like is it gonna hurt and I watched I think I talked about this in like an earlier podcast episode but like I did watch this like video um by Whaley and like she gave like a tutorial on like how to put on a tampon I thought it was like really funny but like it did like help to sort of ease me into that process and like because like I had to take a lifeguarding course as well um like I like had to use a tampon so I think in the beginning it did really scare me but like when I hear like other like YouTubers or just like people talking about their experience and like to sort of ease me into it and just like talk to me about the different kinds of tampons like plastic or like cardboard ones I don't know cardboard ones probably hurt a lot but like, um yeah I just you know it made the whole sort of process easier and yeah I do relate I think a lot to what um Jessica said like I have I I do like PMS and like um, have like very like severe like mood swings and like usually like I would just kind of go through it and I'd be like oh like oh my life is ending like 
like I'd have these like intrusive thoughts but then like you know when you start to sort of track your period and like track your symptoms it becomes like more manageable and like you can like emotionally like regulate yourself and find like self-care tips like throughout that time um so that like you know it sort of like smoothens the the ridges and the bumps a little more um you know while you're PMSing so I yeah I know we're probably not going to go too um, deep into this but I think like all of these like you know topics are really relevant because it's like it's it's all about the experience and how you know we're able to um just yeah better manage it ourselves and and not be so surprised by like all of the symptoms that come along with it I'm so glad um, that both we, both of you ladies talked about um, PMS and the importance of sort of tracking it because um, for me personally, I remember like when I was younger, I used to, well, I'm not that old, but like a few years ago, I don't remember PMSing at all. And um, it just felt like it was a breeze. But then now I've noticed recently, especially with stress levels rising, I noticed that I have started PMSing. I've noticed a, a shift in my moods and stuff. But um, in order to notice that shift and um, like Claire, as you mentioned, um, to not be terrified by those symptoms and changes that come along with periods, even the course of one person's lifetime, it's important to keep track of those things, be in tune with um, what your body goes through and what your um, body needs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and speaking of contracting and births, um, I think another thing that we can talk about is what, and we'd also mentioned what is we were taught as being normal in periods, right? And that's a very nebulous thing with menstruation, what's normal. Uh, and that can be in terms of what's normal in like color of actual blood and everything that you shed, you know, cause it's, maybe you see brown and you think, oh, that doesn't, I thought it was blood. It's supposed to be red. Like, why is it brown? Um, and you know, at first maybe you would be worried that that's not okay, but it totally is. It's fine as long as it's on the spectrum of brown to red, you know what I mean? But we're not always necessarily taught that. Um, and in the, in the way of kind of numbers and counting, um, we are usually taught that a cycle should be 28 days. Now, I remember when I was younger thinking that that was the rule of law. If it was a day over or a day under, something was wrong with you. That was the way we were taught. Um, when really it needs to be framed as a general rule. And the reason for that is I knew friends who would think, oh, I'm like, I'm like 30 days. Oh, I got to go to the doctor. Like I'm, oh no, you know, um, when, no, no, you're all right. Like you're, you know, it's okay if you're a few days over, a few days under. Um, but when it becomes concerning is when you have a case like I did, where I would only get my period every three months or four months. And because of a lot of shame and a lot of really uncomfortable stuff, I didn't speak to a healthcare professional for a very long time. Um, but it turns out I have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So, which is treatable, very treatable. Um, it can be hard. It's a very frustrating condition to have. If anybody has it, they know it's uh, infuriating <laughs> to try to treat. It's just like, it seems like nothing does anything. But knowing is all better than knowing. Even if there's not much that you feel you can do about it, 
knowing is incredibly important because first of all, it gives you a reason. It explains things. You're not left with the stress of why aren't things okay? Why aren't things normal? And that is incredibly important for your, not just your physical health, but your mental health. Because when you realize or notice through tracking that something is out of the range of what would be considered normal. And again, not talking about a few days or, you know, like if you're 30 days, if you're 26 days, if you're, you know, within like a week of like the, the cycle thing, that's nothing to worry about, which we're not always taught. But if you're in a case like myself where you're way out of range and you don't know why, that's not only damaging to your physical health, it's damaging to your mental health because you don't know what's going on. And you wind up being scared um, because when something's happening with you, especially related to your health and especially related to something as, um, you know, let's say personal as your menstrual health, that's even more frightening because it's not something that you feel you can approach people about because, and it's not something that's talked about a lot. That's the other thing. Because if you have, let's say a, uh, a mole that has uneven edges and you're worried about melanoma, of course that's terrifying, but people talk about melanoma. You know that melanoma exists. It'll probably pop into your head. Oh, that mole's kind of a weird shape. I'm concerned about melanoma, right? Whereas when you have menstrual health problems, there's not always going to be a, an answer that pops into your head. I had no idea what PCOS was. I didn't even know it existed. There was no possible explanation in my mind for what was going on with me. And that is very bad for people, for your mental health. So as a menstruator, if something is not working the way that is within ranges of normal, and that's concerning, I would implore you to not wait. Look, look it up, Google things, trusting sources that are of course trustworthy. Let's not do WebMD because that'll send you down a spiral, but um, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, um, the NHS, uh, CDC sometimes has stuff. These reputable sources that you know are trustworthy are fantastic resources because when you, because when, when you have something going on that's not talked about very much in the public sphere, such as menstruation, you are much more likely to not have any ideas about what's going on which is terrifying and not good for you. So seeking reputable, and I stress again, reputable sources um, about these kinds of things like the Mayo Clinic and stuff like that is incredibly helpful for you, will be incredibly helpful. So long spiel, but basically look for resources where you know that you are gonna be told the truth but also make sure to, to look for them. Cause I know at least for me, like I didn't even want to, I didn't want to type it into my browser because it's something that's so stigmatized, right? Any issues surrounding menstruation. Like I, it was, it was too secretive to even like type into Google, which is something that we as an organization want to help reduce the stigma because again, it, it creates a lot of anxiety um, because if you are outside of normal, again, in quotation, if it, I guess this is a podcast, you'll be able to see my air quotes, but air quotes, normal. Um, and knowing what is in the range of normal is um, kind of what maybe I think we, we maybe will explore a little bit in the, um, if anybody has any 
wants to, to speak to that um, because it is absolutely a range in terms of all parts of menstruation, whether that's PMS or the actual uh, discharge from your body or the length of cycles or whatever else. You know what I mean? Like, like a, you know, so all of that. Um, so if anyone wants to speak to what, you know, they were taught as being normal or taught as being abnormal or any of that. Yeah, I know for me, for the length of cycle, I was also taught the 28 day. That's the law rule. You guys just create every 28 days. That's it. But keep in mind, we talked about hormones. A lot of things affect your hormones. Stress. I know when I'm really stressed, my period is out of whack. I feel different. My cycle's a bit, um, a bit out of like, track. My period is kind of idea when it's coming, but also those apps aren't 100% accurate. But you know, if, you, if you're stressed, your period might just be late, come early, something like that. And then also any type of, I went on birth control because my PMS, like my cramps were very bad. And that can also affect your cycle, your symptoms, everything. So just keep in mind the kinds of medication that you're on, the kinds of pills you're taking, stress levels, diet levels, exercise levels, all of that can affect all of the mentioned links symptoms, all that. Just listen to your own body and go with what you know is good for you and just, yeah, keep track with what I said before. Absolutely. And I think for me, like the length of the cycle was also a concern for me because I have a shorter cycle. So I was told growing up that um, like you're supposed to get your period on the same date every single or like the same day every single month and that's not true because it really depends on your cycle if you have a 21 day cycle 22 day cycle there is no way that you'll be uh, getting your period like always on the first of the month or the second of the month sometimes it's going to be earlier it's going to be later but um, nonetheless um, speak to your doctor if you really think it's inconsistent and if it's like um, very extreme in terms of how early or how late it comes. Um, but I think another sort of misconception that I heard growing up was about vaginal discharge. Um, so it was kind of projected as being this thing that's a sign of a disease and not necessarily something that's normal. But in addition to a menstrual cycle, I guess our body also has this cycle of vaginal discharge that's associated with um, the menstrual cycle. So as um, your body goes through a menstrual cycle, it also has different sort of um, types of discharge that may be associated with different points of menstruation. So, um, and that wasn't made clear. So I thought that any little to like large amounts, whatever amount of discharge was unhealthy. And it was something that I um, needed to get checked by the doctor. And I'm glad that I did because that's when I found out that vaginal discharge was a healthy, normal part of the body and not something that we needed to always be afraid of. And I think there could be a lot more education surrounding this topic all throughout of high school. I, in sex ed, I don't remember learning about vaginal discharge, the normal vaginal discharge. I also don't recall learning about, well, because normal vaginal discharge wasn't taught. We also didn't learn how to differentiate between normal versus um, abnormal, something that needs to be treated. Um, but I really wish there would, would have been more education surrounding this topic. Um, that is a great 
uh, point, and I would like to pose a question to everybody. Does anybody know what vaginal discharge is actually made out of? What are the components of it? What, what is it that's coming out? Does anybody know? Is it mucus? Good. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, my reproductive course coming in a little bit. <laughs> that is certainly part of it. Do we have any other ideas before I reveal the uh, composition? I know it has something to do. Oh, yes, I, I agree. I Someone's written in the chat that yeah. we should have learned this. We definitely should have. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> high school, high school health, health class was very, left a lot to be desired. Mm -hmm. uh, well, big reveal. What it actually is, is some cervical mucus. So uh, good, good guess, Sarah. That was definitely a component. Uh, some of just the vaginal fluid shedding vaginal and cervical cells and bacteria. So that also kind of brings in, into the concept of something else that I think is a lot of misinformation, which is that you need to like clean out a vagina. You do not, do not do that. Do not use products or uh, like washes and like soaps and stuff. Don't do that <laughs> because and maybe you've heard this before, but the, the vagina is a self-cleaning thing. It is completely self-cleaning. That's what all the shedding is. That's what vaginal discharge is. It's cleaning itself. Um, uh, and so the reason that, that vaginal discharge can tell you things about your health if it's abnormal is because it's showing you what's actually been in there coming out. And so the point about bacteria, for example, one of the most common things that can be diagnosed through irregular vaginal discharge is bac uh, bacterial vaginosis which is a particular type of bacteria that will get out of control and you got too much of it and it can cause your discharge to be gray or green or smell like fish or um, that's the kind of thing that's actually abnormal because I think that's also something that gets confused in, in you know, the education that we receive is that it's not that the existence of the discharge itself is normal, is abnormal, sorry. It's what are the qualities of it? That's what tells you if it's abnormal. And it's the same way with if you, if you think about a blood test, you can learn a lot from doing tests on your blood. And it's not that the presence of blood is abnormal. We should all have blood in our bodies, obviously. It's that if you look at the blood and there's like a really high, uh, let's say white cell count, then you probably have an infection because that's an indicator of your health. So it's the same thing. It's the discharge should be present. It's more about what is it made up of? that can tell you about your health and that may be abnormal. So I think that's something that's not taught a lot. Yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to read a comment that was made in the chat. Uh, it just says, I wholeheartedly relate to the point about discharge. When I was in middle school, my teacher told me that if you have discharge, there was something wrong. And I started freaking out until I talked to my mom. And that's so sad to hear because our body is just too smart. It's cleaning itself. It wants to stay clean, stay healthy, cleaning itself. So it's so sad that we're taught that something completely normal that's actually good for you, normal, taking care of you, is bad. And something to be scared of. Guys, don't be scared. The body is just doing its thing, cleaning all. <laughs> Please do not put any kinds of soaps up there. No, don't do yeah, that. I know 
speaking from um, personal experience, I feel like another thing, this might be maybe like TMI a little bit, but um, another thing like relating to discharge, I feel is not talked about a lot is like also like vaginal kind of like odor, like, because you know, our vagina is, so, it is self-cleaning. It, like it's meant to clean, it's like on itself. You don't need to put anything to make it like smell better or make it clean itself better or anything like that. But like a lot, a lot of something else that is never talked about, I feel very rarely is like vaginal odor. People always want your, it, you know, it should be like, oh, like it should always smell good or like whatever should always like be looking a certain way or be like smelling a certain way and like through your discharge. But like, I think something that's really important to distinguish is like, yes, it's okay if like there is a bit of a smell there, like it's normal. That's how your body is supposed to be made. It's not supposed to smell like a flowers and stuff all the time, you know? It is like, as Julia mentioned, it it, it is, you should know, that's the thing, like with the education gap, like you should know when, like when it is concerning, right? When that, if, it, if there's like a fishy odor or like, if it smells kind of like a rotten or something like that. But other than, other than that, like it is supposed to smell, it is supposed to smell basically. But I remember when I was younger, um, I was so freaked out by, I was like, this is really weird that to me that it's smelling a certain way. So I went out and I, I, God, <laughs> I remember I bought like, I was using like, what are the, like, I think it's called like douche, like the, the cleansers, the washes for that, like douching or something like that. I don't remember the exact term anymore, but, and I was just like using all that stuff and it was just, yeah, a lot of other, a lot of stuff happened, but then I realized I've come a long way since then, but I feel like that's something that should also be talked about is that you don't need to be using any kind of products down there as we talked, as we mentioned, and it's okay that it smells, that's normal. I, yeah, like I totally agree. And I think it's like, like you said, Sarah, like the lack of education about, you know, discharge and odors and also like the social pressure that is put on menstruators. And especially I think like, you know, just you have to like, as, as like woman, um, you know, it's like, you have to be feminine. You have to like smell nice. You're like down there has to smell. I don't know for, I, I heard this like ridiculous, like statement that like, it's supposed to like, yeah like smell like pineapples but I'm like that doesn't even make sense like why like I don't know I feel like (laughs) like that just does not make sense and I think it's just like the ridiculous pressure that is like put on menstruators to like be hygienic and it's like it's not always like we can't it, it is hygienic to like have an odor but like it's you know what I mean like when people think of the word hygienic it's like like odorless um what is it 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 looks pretty but it's like what what do you mean by it looks pretty and then I think there's just so many like commercials that are like advertising oh get this like odorless like um you know douche like get get this product so like you know you're um you know like you don't smell or like it's just all of this like marketing heavy marketing and just feeding into like consumerism I think um, to, yeah, uphold this, like, ridiculous standard for menstruators to be, like, the quote-unquote best version of themselves, which is, like, you know, it's, like, we're human, and, um, you know, discharge has odor, and we have irregular periods, and that's, you know, we all have our own normals, and I think that's just, yeah, something we need to accept, and people definitely need to know, so, yeah. Claire brings up a really, oh, sorry, Jessica, did you have something to add? 
Oh no, go ahead. I was just on the topic of washing. For me personally, I have dry skin all over, sensitive skin all over. So there are certain for external use only, I cannot emphasize enough, external use only that you can use that are formulated for that. So let's not use Bath and Body Works soap on that specifically for that area that is meant for using over there if you have dry sensitive irritation stuff like that um just make sure you're again doing your research finding things that are designed for that and not just using soap face wash or something with harmful chemicals on there yeah two very good points that were just brought up by claire and jessica so one of them being the predatory marketing by brands brands such as let's name drop vagisil uh, because they're one of the worst, um, where basically all of the marketing is saying, look, there's something wrong with you and we'll fix it. You know, like we'll make you smell like a fresh spring day. Well, you're not, it's not supposed to smell like a fresh spring day because it's not a field, it's a vagina. Um, so it's going to smell like a vagina um, because it should. Um, so all of these marketings that are like smell like a tropical paradise no, <laughs> you, that's not good because they're clearly introducing um, substances which are, first of all, irritants. Uh, some of them can even be linked to uh, higher incidences of cancers, like cervical cancers, because of just because of the compounds of like the ketones that are what create that smell. Um, and the other thing is that Jessica brought up is the, uh, the sensitive skin deal. So basically, because everything that's going on um, in your vagina and outside of it, like within your vagina, it's very, very delicate tissue. It is a mucosal tissue, um, which, I'm trying to find the right word. Basically, it's just very delicate and it allows for the transfer between layers of tissue of fluids for secretion of mucus purposes. But the problem with that is that things go both ways. When you put products within um, that are like with onto sensitive tissues that have irritant substances in them that that tissue is very um, very delicate to allow for the passing of mucus and stuff like that and so that can cause a lot of irritation swelling just a lot of really bad things because of how sensitive the tissue is and so like Jessica said if it's not that you can't put you know any kind of soap anywhere near your vagina that's not it but it's what it should be is unscented and gentle and if it's specifically made for uh, washing the outside external portion only the labia majora which is that outside layer um, then that is okay to use as long as it is unscented free of harsh chemicals um, uh, you know maybe even specifically made like Jessica said for that that area then then that's okay but anything else is just too harsh for sensitive tissue and nothing not even the mild soap should be used internally it's all external um because again you don't need it there first of all so that's what the marketing preys on is telling you that you need it when you don't there is no need for anything being washed let's say internal um but that's what campaigns like to prey on is is thinking that you have to 
making you think that something is wrong, that making you think that you should be doing a certain thing uh, when in reality it's entirely unnecessary and, and even harmful. Um, and so there's a, a comment in the chat uh, that just says, kind of relating to that, the scented pads always kind of scared me because it's like putting art artificially scented materials near a sensitive place. And that is absolutely true. It's the exact same thing as putting any kind of scented soap in there. It's the same stuff. The same stuff makes it smell, like gives it a smell, artificial smells and perfumes and all of that. It's all the same compounds. So having it on a menstrual product, which is arguably even there for longer than any kind of soap would be, right? Because soap, while you shouldn't use it anyway internally, you can wash it away, at least externally. But with these menstrual products, like however long you use them for, they're there, right there with all of that sensitive tissue, like right on it for an extended period of time. And both are bad, but um, an ex exposing sensitive tissue to irritants for an extended period of time is also very bad. Um, so yeah, and, it, and, they and the same thing relies on the same marketing of scented products is the same thing of like, you should smell a certain way, you don't smell a certain way, this'll fix it, which is incorrect. Like it's all just not true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say like, I think like now that we're all like, like teenagers or adults, it can be like a lot easier to critically think about the media that is being, you know, pushed onto us. And like, I feel like we all understand that literally everything that's being sold to us, like not even related to menstrual health, but like even like makeup and like razors and stuff, like those are all to push an agenda, right? And push a beauty standard. And so like, obviously now we can all critically think, but it's really harmful for like, you know, young children Right, because I know many of you mentioned getting a period younger, like at nine and ten, and like even if you get it in like your early teens, like maybe even like 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever it may be, like you're still very vulnerable at that age, and like those are like the ages where it's like you are very insecure because of just like the media you consume, and like with social media now more than ever, I feel like this like next generation growing up in this like world full of like social media is gonna be hit the hardest with um, trying to like fit into the beauty standard and I guess like really be impacted by all like the media and marketing that's being sold to them so I feel like education in terms of like this aspect like these sort of scented pads and these cleaning products like really needs to be something that's on like the agenda for like schools like I feel like schools need an updated curriculum because it's like I don't remember learning about any of this kind of stuff um so it's like I feel like there needs to be something done to implement better education and again it's like the stigma surrounding it and like there's even adults that believe in this stuff so it can be really hard to actually make a change in that aspect uh, when it's such like a taboo topic uh, which is really frustrating because like these young children obviously don't they can't critically think at the level that we can now right and like we can go and do our research but at a young age like you would never think to do your research you're just going to buy whatever is marketed towards you so it's really unfortunate that these products exist even though they're actively causing harm and I feel like that's something that um, you know the period organization if they're not already kind of making that a priority I feel like education curriculum updates need to be something kind of on the agenda and something that has to be done at least personally I think that's very important. Absolutely. I'm really glad you raised that point of like beauty standards because as we were having this conversation about like 
vaginal order, what I was thinking about was hair removal and how so many people um, end up removing their pubic hair, but maybe are not educated on how to do it in a way that doesn't cause harm there, that doesn't make it more prone to infections, to diseases, and to more irritation down there. So I feel like um, so many like things are advertised to us um, without us really learning what the benefits and the harms of those things are. And with hair removal, it's such a, like, I don't know if the why it became so synonymous with femininity that so many people feel the need to um, remove their pubic hair when um, it's really supposed to be very protective. And even if you do want to remove it, people are not taught how to um, do it properly so that it doesn't cause them harm. Yeah, I mean, I think hair hair removal in general is like, um, you know, like a big thing across, like, you know, like removing hair on your arms, your legs, like, so obviously it's going to be a thing for down there as well. And then like, I think, I think historically, or, you know, like just social media wise, people attribute like being hairy as being like masculine because like, guys tend to have you know hairy legs so it's like um but I I think that stigma is starting to break which is good I think there's a lot of advocates out there that are you know and and artists that are you know drawing things and like making art and like you know going on the stage talking about how they're embracing um their body and you know despite having hair like they're they're still feminine like they're still masculine like whatever it's just who they are so um I think you know that's a really um good thing that we're headed to like that shift um in our society like we're starting to embrace ourselves more um but yeah I actually like had (laughs) um I think this is also part of um you know just talking about the whole period stuff. If there's any like cool euphemisms, um, you know, you might have about periods, like it, like whenever your periods come, like, do you have any like nicknames for it <laughs> just to like close it off? Um, I can start with something. I actually think I saw this online and then it kind of became like a joke between me and my friends. I mean, when you think about like the deeper meaning, it's kind of like sad because the reason why we used to like say this thing was because so that other people wouldn't know we were on our periods. And I feel like in middle school and high school, it's like such like a taboo thing to say that you're on your period or to like for someone to see you holding a pad. Like at least personally, I remember me and all my friends when you were gonna go to the bathroom, you would like slip a pad like into your sleeve <laughs> and then like go like or in your pocket or something. Yeah. Cause it's like, you don't want people to know. So. I think I saw this, yeah, I don't know where I saw this, I saw this online, and then we used to say to each other, Japan is attacking, because if you know, the Japanese flag is white with, like, the red circle, so we used to be, like, oh, when we're on our periods, like, Japan is attacking because of the red circle on the flag, which, obviously, it's, like, kind of funny when you think about it, but at the same time, it's, like, sad, because it's, like, we couldn't say that I'm on my period, because we didn't want other people to know that we were on our periods, because of the stigma associated with it. So yeah, that's one thing. But I got so excited when you mentioned Japan because that was a joke that I had with um, my friends in middle school as well. Because mm-hmm. the a Japanese flag is like white and there is like a red dot in the middle. Um, and thinking about it now, it was like, 
I don't know why we found it so funny, but that's why um, that that's what my friends and I used to call it to. And then there were like the normal, uh, not the normal, but the more common things like time of the month, mm. um, stuff like that. Time of the month or amp flow, call it amp flow. <laughs> and then I think in the um, yeah in the chat, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name, Krisha said uh, a full stop. So that's really that's cool i've never i've never used that before but like me yeah i that's really interesting to hear and like just saying yeah because a period is is like you know grammatically like at the end so definitely makes sense um go ahead you know in modern family there was an episode about periods and i called it monsterating wait what they were monster aiding Oh, because they were something to be feared and they were acting quote, unquote, <laughs> crazy and irrational and they had to run away from them. So they called oh. it monstrating, which is, you know, it's funny, but that's not, that's not helpful. That's a very I, big yeah, no. We're not terrifying. We don't need to yeah. be separated. We're just, right. but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another that's such a man term for periods, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, another one that I think commonly is used in uh, like Canada and America, Australia kind of area, uh, Shark Week. That's a fun one, Shark Week. Um, yikes. Um, <laughs> there's one in Greek that's, I guess, I think this is how you translate it. It's um, basically it's like the Red Army is here, like the communists are here. <laughs> Because if you think about the flag of the old like USSR, it was basically like the Red Army is, yeah, you know. Um, so that was one that uh, Greeks used to use. I don't know if they still use it very much anymore, but that was an old Greek one. Thank you for listening to the Period McMaster podcast. For more information, check us out on our Instagram, period.mcmaster, or email us at mcmasterperiod at gmail.com. Toodles!